0: We live in an age of endless information. We have access to more information today than at any point in human history. Got a question? You can search the world for answers. Need directions? Maps can lead you just about anywhere. Need to buy something? You can locate it, make your purchase, and have it shipped to you all in a few minutes. But access to all this information doesn't necessarily make us wiser, happier, or provide any deeper meaning in life. The wisest man who ever lived had everything he desired, but came to the conclusion that life without meaning is empty. But a life spent searching for the answers God provides is a life worth living. Hey, it's been a great time of worship, hasn't it? It's been a lot of fun this morning, a lot of... A lot of fun, great worship time. The weather has been fantastic, okay? No complaining about the weather. I was reading this the other day. I didn't write it. I was just reading it, and you tell me whether it's true or not, okay? When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and so you do. Your 20s are a blur. In your 30s, you make a little money, you raise your family, and the whole decade, you were wondering, what happened to my 20s? In your 40s, you grow a pot belly and an extra chin. In your 50s, you have surgery and you call it just a minor procedure. But in your 60s, it doesn't matter whether it's major or minor, it's always a major surgery. And in your 60s, the music is way too loud. But as time goes on, it doesn't matter so much because you're losing your hearing anyway. In your 70s, you move to Florida, and you have supper at 2 o'clock so that you can pay lunch prices. And in this, there was nothing about 80s, and I don't know what that means. What we do know is this, no matter how old we are, no matter who we are, every year, we're changing. And every single one of us have limited time. And so one of the key questions to answer is, how can I make the most of my time? And that is what I want to talk to you about today. I don't know if you've ever heard of Richard Needham, but this is a picture of Richard Needham right there. And Richard Needham led a, a research team to study Americans and the natural way in which most Americans live and where they, we spend our time. And this is what he came up with, or the group came up with. The average person spends 13 years watching a monitor whether that is a television or a computer, but watching a monitor. Six months sitting at stoplights. Eight months opening junk mail. One whole year of our lives we are looking for misplaced objects. One whole year. Five years waiting in line, which may be the reason why so many people are starting to shop online so they don't have to wait in line. Six years of our life is spent eating, 24 years of our life is spent sleeping, and the average American makes 1,811 trips to McDonald's. Did you know that? Some of you are, no, that's not me. That is not me. Richard Needham is also the guy that, that gave us this. He said, the seven stages of a person's life are spills, drills, thrills, bills, ills, pills, and wills. So where are you? Where are you on that? I want to talk to you about how to make the most of your time. We're going through the book of Ecclesiastes today, and and, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is an amazing book that really, the whole purpose of it was to answer life's biggest questions. And so in the first chapter we got the opportunity to start working through what is the point of life? Why are we alive? What is the purpose of our life? Last week in chapter 2, we we got the opportunity to work through how can you have lasting happiness in your life, which the Bible calls joy. I don't mean uh, happy every so often or when you do something fun or something. I'm talking about a lasting peace and joy in your heart. How can you get to that place in your life? And we looked at that last week. And this morning as we go through chapter 3, the whole idea of chapter 3 is how do you make the most Of your time. And Solomon gives us five key ideas in chapter three of how to make the most of our time. The first one is this accept that God has a purpose for both the good and bad times of our life. And he begins in chapter 3 verse 1 by making this statement. He says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And in the context of the entire chapter, he is meaning it this way. God doesn't do anything by accident. God is a purpose, a plan, and even a time behind everything that happens. It doesn't mean that we're always getting God's best because God tells us, don't go down this way, go this way. But when we still go down this way, we get the consequences of it, and that's not God's best. It doesn't mean everything that happens to us is God's best, but it does mean that the good and bad alike can be blessings in our life if we're willing to let them. Solomon then gives what is 28 different times of life and half of them are good and half of them are bad they're, cons- they're they're meant to be contrasts. And I was trying to work through that in preparing for today and and I just could not get kind of the sense of it and then I read something that I thought was really great. One guy puts it this way he says First of all, time delegates our physical life, and that's verses 2 and 3. There is a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. And Solomon is saying, from the time we're born to the time that we die, we are bound by times. Then time delegates our emotional life. That's verses 4 and 5. There is a time to weep. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn, a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. That there is a time in our life, time delegates our physical life and our emotional life and then time delegates our spiritual life, verses 6 to 8. There is a time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak up, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. All of these are 14 positives, 14 negatives, and Solomon is saying every last one of them has a place in our lives. In other words, Solomon is making this statement that life, whether we like it or not, is a combination of good and bad, positive and negative things, things that we want to happen and things that we don't. And Solomon is saying it's time to grow up. It's time to be realistic about life, that every single time that we experience, whether good or bad, has a good purpose for our life if we are willing. And in fact, he says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has made everything appropriate in its time, even the problems, even the pain, even the limitations, and even the death, part of living life effectively is coming to accept that there's good and bad and to be willing to allow God to use both to be beneficial to our life. There are so many individuals, and maybe some of you here, that are going through a negative time and you are pushing back on it and you're angry about it or whatever. But God is saying that there is a purpose for everything in our life. And even the bad things, God can use for good if we're willing to let him take charge of this moment. One of the ways in which we do we live our best life is by being willing to live life, grow up, accept what life is about, and give God the permission to bring the best no matter what happens. There's a second thing he says is that that we make the most of our time when we don't understand life, trust God. He didn't intend this to be a trite statement. Listen to what he said in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has planted eternity in the human heart, But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So what does he mean by this? Let's break it down. The first thing that he says is, God has put eternity in our heart, in the human heart. Did you know that you can go through all the archaeological finds, all of the uh, archaeology around the world of the different cultures and civilizations as far back as we can find record for? and all of the history of all the things that have ever been written since people could write, and bring it all together, and you're going to discover that no matter how close the civilizations were to each other or how separated they were from any other civilization or what time period all the way back as far as we can go, there are two common denominators for every civilization that mankind has ever had. Two common denominators, and the first is this. Every civilization of all time believed in a higher power. Everyone. Everyone believed in God. Now, some had many gods, and some were desperately wrong about who God is, but every single civilization of all time believed in a higher power in God. And second of all, every civilization of all time, no matter how far back you go, believed in life after death, every civilization. That's why you can dig as far down as you can dig and go as far back into time as you can go, and you will find when these archaeologists open up graves, there are tools in the grave. There are clothing that used to be in the the grave but has now disintegrated. But why? Because the thinking was they're going to need these things in the next life. It's what the pyramids are all about. And what is so amazing is, is that no matter what culture, how long ago it was, how detached it was from anybody else, still believed in God and still believed in life after death. And Solomon is saying to us, here's why. God put eternity into the human heart. The existence of God and the existence of life after death is actually an inborn instinct. In human beings. Just like birds have instincts, things that they just do automatically, and just like animals have instincts, they do automatically. So do humans have instincts. And two of the instincts is that there must be a God there. And there must be life after this life. So that you have to be taught that there is no God to not believe in a God. And you have to be taught that there is no life after death to not believe in life after death. And what is the evidence of that statement? Every culture, every civilization has had these two things no matter how detached they were from anybody else. It's an instinct. Solomon is saying that God has made an instinct in our hearts of his existence and eternity. The second thing he says, though, is this. We have a limited perspective about this God that we know is there. We have a limited perspective of the nature and the work of God. Now, God has revealed himself to us in his word. He has revealed some things about himself to us. We would not know it any other way. But those things are still sketchy, and there is so much more of God that we do not understand. You and I will live all of our life with a limited perspective of God and his ways. So think of it in this term, this comparison. Think about how much does an ant, A-N-T, know about human beings. Ants do know we're here because when we arrive, they scurry. And if they get the chance, they bite us. And they do it every time. Ants know we're here. But what do they know about us? Do they know we've been to the moon? No. Do, do they know we have computers? Do they know we have feelings? Do they know what we eat? They don't know anything about us. And as much as is the separation of an ant with a human, is the same separation of a human to God, and even more between a human and to God, because God is infinite. The point I'm trying to make is this. There are many times in our lives in which God is at work in our life, and there are things that happen to us, and we don't understand. God, how could you have let that happen? God, how could you have let me go through what I'm going through? God, I cannot believe that I am going through this experience. Why did you not intercede? Why did you not stop it? I don't understand you, God. And sometimes what happens when we go through these moments is that we become very angry at life and even very angry with God. And there's some in this room who are really struggling with this this morning. And what you are really saying is, I don't understand God. I don't understand why you do the things you do. I don't understand why you don't do some things that I think you ought to be doing. And the reason is because as far as an ant is from a human is as far as we are from God and even more. In the last night before Jesus was crucified and he gathered his disciples together, It was to take the Passover, and you know that we call it the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, in that moment. And before they began to eat, you remember what happens in John chapter 13? The Bible says that Jesus picked up a bowl and a towel, and he began to wash the feet of all the disciples. That was the job for the lowest person in the room. And so when Jesus came to Peter, Peter said, You're not washing my feet. You can wash these guys if you want to, but you're not washing my feet. Because I should be washing your feet. I don't want you washing my feet. And you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse 7. Jesus said, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later on you will understand. Now, I'm going to ask you to take that sentence from Jesus, that statement from Jesus, and I'm going to ask you to lift it out of its context in that story, and I'm asking you to plop it into your own life, and I want you to open your eyes and heart to this idea that Jesus is saying to you, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Maybe the later is when you get to heaven. Maybe the later is later in your life, and all of a sudden some things come together, and now a whole new context has emerged about this thing that happened to you years ago, and now you finally understand. Oh, my soul, look what God was doing. But right now, you're in the gap. What do you do in the gap? What God wants us to do in the gap is to be able to say in our heart of hearts and to him, I'm not liking what's going on. I am not liking what I'm experiencing. But, God, I already know you love me. I already know you know what's going on in my life. And I already know you care. And I already know you have a reason somehow. And I don't know what it is. I am willing to trust you. Even though I don't have any evidence, I am willing to trust you. So what happens if you refuse to do that? What happens if you say, I will not trust God in this moment in my life? What happens? What happens is is that you build fear in your heart. You build anger in your heart. You build a sense of bitterness in your heart and you build brokenness in your life. And some of you are allowing the years of your life to be consumed right now, to be burned up right now with anger, with bitterness, with brokenness. And and why, God, are you doing this? And some of you are allowing your life to be burned away. And Solomon is saying to you and me, don't do this. When things are going on in your life and you don't understand them, trust me. So what happens if we do trust him? What happens is Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, and listen to what he says, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And the key word is the word renew that you filled in the blank with, that word renew. It is the Hebrew word shaleth, C-H-A-L-E-T-H, shaleth. And it is a word that means exchange. I've mentioned to you, this to you before, that, that we talk so much in this church about a changed life because God has told us, this is what I'm doing in your life. I am changing your life from the inside out to become more like Christ. But the Christian life is not just a changed life. The Christian life is also an exchanged life. And in fact, this is how we can have this changed life, by exchanging. Our weakness for his strength And the key to making the exchange is trust when we don't understand. When in our bad times of life we choose to trust God, He takes our weaknesses and exchanges them with His strength so that instead of bitterness and despair, we can operate with strength and confidence. How do I make the most of my time? I come to realize that everything that happens to me the good and the bad that God is somehow in a way I don't know somehow using it for good in my life and blessing my life and I give him permission to do it. And second when I'm going through things that I don't understand that make no sense, God, why are you doing this? God, why did you not stop this? That when I am experiencing that kind of moment and I'm willing to trust Him, He will exchange my weakness with His strength. But if I refuse, I will burn away a part of my life. There's a third thing that That Solomon says, he says, to make the most of your life, make it a priority to think of others, not just myself. Look at verse 12, the next verse. There is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. The New Testament uh, uh, verse for this, same idea is this, for uh, Ephesians 2.10. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Good works. The whole idea of good works, if you think about them, good works are talking about an outward focus, not an inward focus. Good works are acts, and I've used this definition many times, I love it, acts of love and kindness toward God and others. That is good works. And every one of them are focused outwardly instead of inwardly. So much of our life we struggle. We, we're, it's inward focused about me and my schedule and what I'm doing and I've got to get this done and it's about me. And so much of our life we, is about me and my problems and what I'm going through and it's about me. But Solomon says that to make the most of your life you need to push yourself to be outwardly focused. Not let your life be eaten up by you, but to begin to think of God and others. Acts of love and kindness, good deeds toward God and others. Now, let me stop for a second and say this. We know in this room, don't we? We know that you cannot be, do all these good deeds so that you can go to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven by being good. The Bible says over and over No matter how many good deeds that you do, you can never do enough good good deeds to deserve heaven. You can't. So our doing good deeds is not to earn our way to heaven. Heaven, the Bible, the New Testament says, is a gift. It's an act of the grace of God. That when we are willing to stop working for our salvation and instead... Understand that Jesus has already purchased our salvation for us through the cross, through the blood of Jesus Christ when he paid the price for our sin on the cross. When we're willing to trust our salvation in Christ alone and not for us. The Bible says... We give our heart to, the, to Jesus Christ. He'll save us and forgive us and cleanse us right then and there. So then the Bible teaches us that then the good deeds that we do are not to, ge- to get to heaven, but out of our love for God. And what the Bible is saying to us is it needs to become now a way of life for us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. Now look, I know. You're busy. I'm busy. you got kids at home You are super busy. You got at school during the day. You got sports at night and dance at night and who knows what else. I know you are so busy. I understand busy too. We're busy. So I don't have time to start worrying about doing good things for other people. No, he is talking about as we go along our life as we are living out our life, there are a hundred different things every day that just pop out of nowhere that we can do something simple that is a good deed for someone. Yesterday was uh, a funeral for a a man in our church, Tom Stewart, who's just an amazing guy. And the Stewart's went back 40 years in this church, almost from the very beginning of this church. And they have been a part of this church all these years. Pat passed away uh, almost two years ago, and now Tom has passed away. They're with each other together. now, And we had, had Tom's funeral here yesterday. And after the funeral was over, Kathy then went out and did some shopping. And she came home and she said, you know, I, something happened to me. It is just little but I really appreciate it. She was trying to get something that she wanted to get, but it was too high, on a shelf too high, and she couldn't reach it. She was trying. She just could not get to it. And she said this big, tall guy walked by, and he just walked up, grabbed hold of it, and handed it to her. And she said, I know it's simple, but I really appreciated that moment. This is life. What life can be about, and God intended, wherever we go. We just have this outward focus. It's not just about me. And so all of a sudden, there are things that just approach our life. We can open the door for someone. We can help someone. We can pick something up for someone. We can be there for somebody in the natural course of our life. And Solomon is saying that if you will build this others kind of mindset, it will make more of your life than if it would have just been about you. So I'm asking you, what is it that you can do for someone in your family today? What is the small thing you can do for somebody in our church as you're leaving or whatever, let somebody in as you're trying to get out of this parking lot? What can you do? and as a normal process of your life. This is what Solomon is talking about. Here's the fourth thing. Slow down and enjoy the life God gave us. Ecclesiastes 3.13, it's the next verse. He says, all of us should eat and drink and enjoy what we've worked for. It is God's gift. And then Ecclesiastes 11.8, however many years a person may live, let him enjoy them all. Don't you know how people do? Okay, somebody is what, a, a junior in high school or a sophomore in high school, and the person is thinking, I cannot wait to get out of this family and go to college. I am really going to live when I get to college. Man, I am going to have the greatest time when I get to college. And then they get to college. And a couple of years into college, they're thinking, I cannot wait to get out of college. I'm really now going to be on my own. I can really do this. I'm so excited about going, getting out of college. And to get out of college, and, and they're now working. And it's not their favorite job. It is, They're working up to that. It takes a while sometimes to get your dream job. And so they're working and thinking, man, when I get my dream job. I mean, when I get the job that I really think I'm really cut out for, I can hardly wait until I get that job. And they think, you know what? I can hardly wait until I meet that special person of my life, my life partner, if I, I, if I could just get married, if I could just get married, find that person to get married to, life would be wonderful. I can hardly wait until I get married. And when they get married... They begin to think, you know, I can't wait until the kids come. I want kids so bad. I, when I get my kids, my life will be complete when I get my children. And then you get your children. I haven't said anything. I haven't said a word. You get your children, and then you're thinking, when the children grow up and leave, when they when when they grow up and they go away to college or wherever they go i'm telling you now we're going to live it up and then you think man when i retire if when i just if i could just retire do you see what you're doing you see what you're doing I promise you, when you retire, you're not saying, when I die, when I finally die. <laughs> you're not saying that. You're not, that's not what you're doing. But look, look what we're doing. Solomon is saying to us, every year of our life, every day of our life, stop saying, when, and start saying, now, I'm going to live today. I'm going to enjoy today. I'm gonna experience life today. That's, that's what he's saying. So, look, here is my recommendation to you. You leave today, you go home, you get, get, get lunch and um, take like an hour and say to the kids, into your room you go, we're gonna have quiet time, we're gonna have rest time, We don't whatever, and lock them in to the room. And then, <laughs> go and take a nap go to sleep, take a nap, you feel so much better, you get up, everybody, you let them all out of the rooms, and then go to the park, or maybe go for a ride. I mean, we enjoyed as, as a family going for rides from time to time, go for a ride. Go get ice cream. Are you loving this day now? Go get ice cream. With so many times in our family on, Saturday, on Sunday nights, we would go get ice cream at the Dairy Queen, and our boys still mention it. Go get ice cream. And then, get this, wait a minute, to top it all off, at 6 o'clock, come to the annual business meeting right here at church. <laughs> How could you have a better day? Right here, 6 o'clock. Live every day. And that's, that's what he's saying. Now, look, there was a pastor who was a pastor for 20 years, and then he quit the pastorate, and he became a funeral director. And somebody said to him, "What? I don't understand. You were a pastor for 20 years, and you now are a funeral director. Why did you do that? He said, well, I'm going to tell you why. For 20 years, I was trying to straighten everybody out and trying to get everybody to do right, and not one person did anything I told them to do. But now when I straighten somebody out, they stay straight. (laughs) Now, what does that have to do with the sermon? Not one thing. But I heard that this week. I thought that is the funniest thing. And I said, I can't figure out where to put it, so I'm just going to stick it right there. So there it is. Okay, there is this, there is this kind of prose that I have loved for so many years and probably partly because I'm so bad at it and I want to read it and it's this whole idea of living every day and it goes this way slow me down Lord ease the pounding of my heart by the quieting of my mind give me amid the confusion of the day the calmness of the everlasting hills. Break the tensions of my nerves and muscles with the soothing music of the singing streams that live in my memory. Teach me the art of taking minute vacations, of slowing down to look at a flower, to chat with a friend, to pat a dog, to smile at a child, to read a few lines from a good book. Remind me each day that the race is not always to the swift, that there is more to life than increasing its speed. And Solomon is saying this. For us to make the most of our time, we've got to live life And enjoy it today. Here's the last thing he says. The fifth one is this. Prepare to give an account of our life to God. Ecclesiastes 3.15 and 17 says it this way, God will call the past to account. God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. He is saying, clean up your act. And what Solomon is really saying to us, in the midst of us now rethinking life, life is not just good things, it's bad things. It is all of both of those things are meant for our good somehow and our blessing. And instead of becoming angry and bitter at God, I'm going to trust God and to let him exchange his strength and replace it for my power, my, my weakness. I'm going to learn how to give myself away and to care for others, and I'm, and I'm going to learn how to slow my life down and live life one day at a time. And all the while I'm doing it, I am living my life with heaven in mind, knowing that one day I will meet God. The Bible in the New Testament puts it this way Romans 14:12 each of us will give an account of himself to God 2 Corinthians 5:10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body whether good or bad But until you have settled one issue nothing you did good or bad will even matter You've got to settle the issue because it will be the primary thing God talks to you about. What did you do with my son, Jesus? How did you respond to the offer of salvation through my son, Jesus Christ? And Jesus put it this way, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word, and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. In this present tense, eternal life does not begin when we die. Eternal life begins at the very moment we accept Jesus as our Savior. We began eternal life. Whoever hears my word and believes Him that sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has already crossed over. From death to life. Would you give your heart to Jesus Christ? Would you accept Jesus into your heart? He gave himself up, died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, and he offers to you the gift of eternal life. And he says, if by faith you would just accept him into your heart and turn your heart to him, let him be the Lord of your life, that he'll forgive you and cleanse you, and he will make a reservation for you in heaven. And you will know a relationship with God forever. Would you do that today if you haven't already? Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge, oh God, thank you for the opportunity to know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that there will be many in this room that make that decision today. And Father, others in this room that are visiting our church today, but there's a sense in their heart. This place just feels like home. And that today they would make Sugar Creek their home and join this church today. And Father, for everybody else, that God, we would take your word. You didn't just give us life and say, go figure it out. You gave us an instruction manual to help us. Here's how to live the best life ever. And God, today we ask that you would help us take the truths of your word and put them into our heart and begin to live out what you've said. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.